Hello, and welcome to a special one-year anniversary bonus episode of the Switch Focus Podcast. In the following episode, Andy, Ginny, and myself will spend a few minutes talking about our experience with the Switch as it released on March 3rd, as well as our experience with a game of our choice, and also with the Switch's premier launch game, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Without further ado, let me yield the floor to Andy so he can tell his story. Hey everyone, Andy here. Uh, I'm here to do my bit on this bonus episode. I'm going to start with talking about the Switch itself and getting it home and my, my impressions and, and how I've, I've grown with it over this last uh, 12 months or so. Uh, so with the Switch, I was pretty much sold on it as a concept as soon as I saw the reveal trailer, the one that told us exactly what it was and how it was going to work. Uh, I've had a leaning towards handheld gaming my entire life, ever since my brother, for no real reason, surprised me with a Game Boy one day when I was a kid. Since then, I've gone on to love my PSP, my DS, my 3DS, my Vita, all for their convenience, allowing me to play great games wherever I was. Uh, there are so many genres that I've just grown to prefer to play on dedicated handhelds now, as I just find that I get through games a lot quicker this way. So it should be no surprise to anyone that I found the idea of a hybrid console, a console that's both a home machine and a handheld to be massively appealing. I put down my pre-order as soon as I was able to. Uh, I know people were still sceptical, they were still worried about the failures of the Wii U and everything that that went through, but I still love my Wii U even if it was just for the first party games, and I was prepared to pony up the cash even if a repeat was on the cards because first party Nintendo is something I always want in my life. Fast forward to the release date, getting it home, taking it out of the box, and I could almost tell instantly that this was a different story to the Wii U, just from the build quality, like it, it was a different level to the, the plasticky nature of the Wii U. I realised as soon as I attached the Joy-Cons that it fixed an issue that I had with the Vita where I was in this constant state of terror that I was going to break the analog sticks and that would be the end of it, because if that happened here I can just buy new Joy-Cons. At the time of launch, people complained that the Switch's dashboard was bare bones, devoid of functionality, uh, devoid of stuff that, in my mind, will definitely come at some point. But you know what? Everything's just easier without the clutter. The Xbox UI, for example, is an absolute mess that actively detracts from my playing experience whenever I boot it up, and it's only gotten worse with each iteration. While the PS4 Dash is leaps and bounds better, but they still haven't found the answer to a lot of annoying problems with organisation, with a Switch it just works, it boots up in seconds, you're in your games in moments, they feel like they're the focus, the games feel like they're front and centre, and that's the way it should be on any dedicated games machine, and that was a really smart move for Nintendo, and I think people's opinions have, have changed on that sort of functionality now. I know there's still things that people want, but those things will definitely come, I'm, I'm pretty certain of it. Uh, what I couldn't tell, however, was just how much the Switch was going to revolutionise my gaming lifestyle thanks to its versatility. Even day one I knew it would become a platform on which I'd prefer to play pretty much anything, seeing as I could play on my TV or take it anywhere in the house, play on my lunch break or at a friend's or family's house. My interest in my Xbox was already waning, it had been used 
once or twice for TV things since Gears of War remaster, which was the last thing I played on it. But then the Switch has also diverted my attention away from my PS4, a console I genuinely love, to the point where it's gone unused for months at a time, seeing my backlog for that grow massively over this last year. But the Switch is just a joy to use. I naturally default to it, even now, especially as the library has just been filled with so many great games, from two of the best AAA games ever made from Nintendo, big hitters that I was happy to revisit in, in ports and downports from, from the other consoles, and of course all the indies that have filled in the gaps in between. I just haven't run out of quality games to play on it. Now, like many other systems, the Switch didn't launch with a lot of amazing games. It had a solid launch lineup, sure. Uh, it had a range that took advantage of most of the Switch's features, but there were only three or four games that I had any proper interest in. That said, it did launch with one of the best games ever made, so that didn't really matter all that much. I am, of course, talking about 1-2-Switch. No, I'm not. I'm joking. I'm talking about Breath of the Wild. Now, as a huge lifelong Zelda fan, I was as excited for Breath of the Wild as anyone else, but I had games in progress on the PS4 at the time that I wanted to finish before starting it. I'm talking big, hugely popular games like Persona 5 and Nier Automata. Games I was really enjoying playing too. Uh, And people who know me know that I pretty much like to finish the games I'm in the middle of before starting something new, especially something so lengthy as Breath of the Wild, so I wasn't expecting to start it or it to be the first game that I played on the Switch, really. Uh, I honestly thought I'd go for something shorter, uh, but I just had to try it for an hour and then that was that. I was hooked from start to finish. No other games mattered. I was obsessed. I still haven't been back to those games for that matter. That was how much it derailed my momentum at that point. And The fact that I was already such a huge Zelda fan had no real bearing in that either, much to my surprise. Sure, it had many of the things that I love about Zelda, about its formula, and how it did that in the bite-sized chunks through its countless shrines, um, and it was at its most traditional when tackling the four divine beasts. Uh, But I couldn't help but admire how brave Breath of the Wild really is. It's a real shake-up for the formula. and I would have been all too happy for Nintendo to continue on with that original formula forever, but I'm really glad they didn't. That said, while I agree that it is a shake-up, I don't agree that it's that much of a departure from the other Zelda games, because in many ways Breath of the Wild represents a return to series roots. Much like in the original Zelda, the very first one, you're dropped in and just told to go save the world, and how you do that is entirely up to you. Much like in the original, you're left to map out the world as you explore it yourself, tagging the important elements, uh, which is kind of like the modern digital equivalent of how people played the original Zelda, where they would draw in each square on paper as they wandered into it, which was the way I replayed the original Zelda on my NES Mini in 2016, which was really satisfying. Uh, And I love that Nintendo tried to recapture this spirit, once again aiming to make Zelda uh, something of a water cooler game, where people could just play for hours and have countless different adventures, finding entirely different discussion-worthy things to talk at their mates about. That said, there are tons of new things too, such as the weapons degradation, which has probably been one of the most contentious changes to the Zelda series, Uh, but it's something I feel adds a lot of strategy, and I really appreciate that. Like, I couldn't just wander into a camp full of uh, Bokoblins and tear them up. I had to really think about how many weapons I had, their state, how that affected my approach. 
I had to think about being able to pick up new weapons on the fly in the middle of a melee just to keep the attacking momentum going, or even throwing a weapon that's about to break for a last ditch attack before scrambling to assign something else. I thought this was fantastic, it it made the combat really rhythmic and organic in a way that the previous games that were always fun had never really managed to achieve. Then there's the world it takes place in, vast, beautiful, lush, but also haunted, full of interesting things to see or do. The scale is amazing from the second that Link steps out from the shrine of resurrection, and I realised that everything I could see was a place I could go. I honestly could not believe that I could play a game of this scale on the handheld. It was absolutely mind-blowing. I haven't had a chance to jump into either of the DLC packs yet, such as the life of someone working on a Switch-related podcast with the release schedule that we've had to deal with. Uh, It's almost impossible to keep up, but I will get to it. As soon as there is a hint of a lull, I swear I will do it. Uh, But really, I could ramble on about Breath of the Wild for ages, because simply, I really love it. I love it so much that I've had some of its iconography etched onto my skin forever. I love how it's made not only me, but countless others reconsider their all-time top tens. And I love seeing how many new ways people are found to abuse that physics engine to perform these amazing feats. I just love it. So for the final part of this bonus episode, we decided to have a bit of a talk about any other launch title of our choice, uh, and I opted for I Am Setsuna. Uh, regular listeners will know I'm a, I am a big fan of I Am Setsuna, uh, but I was really close to opting for Snipperclips as, as like a proof of concept for the Switch in terms of being a local multiplayer machine. Uh, and for the Joy-Cons themselves, but I went for I Am Setsuna as it proved a different concept for me. It's mainly because I love JRPGs, uh, and ever since the DS, PSP era, I've come to prefer them on handhelds. It's one of those genres I talked about before. Uh, It's the convenience. JRPGs and RPGs generally are usually a huge time sink, but JRPGs in particular often require time to grind, and the portability really helps with that. You can grind levels while watching TV, sitting on the bus at lunch times, and then saving the big story moments for when you've got time to sit and just take it all in properly. But then these games on home consoles can have these huge, lush, beautiful worlds that you just want to explore in high definition on the big screen, and you miss out on that by limiting yourself to handheld-only experiences. Now, a couple of games on the PlayStation... Uh, that released on either PS4 or PS3 and on the Vita were able to get around this with the cross-save functionality, allowing you to pick up your game on whichever device you wanted to play it on. Final Fantasy X remasters were a great example of this. It's how I played it, switching between the PS3 and the, the Vita whenever I wanted. However, the system's always been a bit inelegant, mainly due to its reliance on the internet, so if you've got an internet outage you can't upload your save, you can't swap it across, it gets annoying. The Switch solves this entirely by being a hybrid console. Now, I Am Setsuna isn't particularly grindy, and in comparison to other JRPGs it's not that long either. I mean it's still 25 to 30 hours long, but it it worked well enough to prove the concept of the Switch as a great home for JRPGs as its flexibility not only allowed me to get through I Am Setsuna quickly and easily over the course of one week, its flexibility just made it easier to put in 10 minutes here and there just to keep the progression going. While I'm still ultimately putting in the same hours I would have to beat it on any other console, that collection of the little dribs and drabs where I can just sneak a a little in here and there really emphasises the beauty of the Switch for me. 
It's been one hell of a year. Here's to another. Hi, so it looks like we're coming to my section of the Switch Anniversary podcast. So, rewind um, to sometime last year um, when I was, I suppose, seriously considering getting the Switch. So, I had been one of those people that was on the fence previously because I thought, very foolishly in hindsight, that there wouldn't be any games for the Switch. Um, I was the proud owner of multiple 3DSs, and prior to that, a Wii, prior to that, a GameCube. So I'd always been in the Nintendo family of consoles, um, but for some reason I just wasn't 100% sold on the Switch. Um, maybe because I heard heard about it at the time when something like Neo Automata was coming out, and I was just really into the PlayStation groove, but the Switch did not capture my imagination when I actually first purchased it. Um, fast forward a couple of months um, after its launch and I got so sick and tired of my friends that had one telling me all about Zelda and how great it was. And I didn't have a, I didn't have my Wii with me in my apartment. It was in a totally different country with my brother. So I thought, okay, you know what? I've got a big paycheck. I was going to spend it on something useless that I didn't need anyway. I should just buy a Switch. So I think three months in, I bit the bullet and I bought a Switch. And it's basically been one long journey of not ever looking back. So I admit I was basically captivated by Zelda for months. And I mean literally months. I just did, I just did so much in that game, which I'll talk about briefly later. But the Switch was just so convenient and so great. I mean, the 3DS is a portable console, yes, and I do own multiple versions of them, but I just never really felt compelled to bring my 3DS around as much as I did with my Switch. Like, I'd be on the bus, have my Switch. I'd be on the train, I'd have my Switch. And it was just something about the way that everything worked perfectly in handheld. Like, I don't think I've ever actually played the Switch docked, maybe once for like 10 minutes, but I gave up pretty much instantly because there was just no need for it. I feel like the Switch docked is basically what I would consider my perfect console. Um, I think it's the right size, I have huge hands, so um, I really appreciate the large screen and the Joy-Cons. While I do have the wonky launch day Joy-Cons, I think everything else about it is amazing. It's quickly become a household staple. Now, everyone in my inner circle of friends, we all have Switches, and we all go over to each other's house and have our own local Splatoon tournament, which is very informal and mostly accompanied by cheese and soda. But I think what the Switch has really done and why I think that I got so much value out of buying the console is the fact that it's really opened up new ways for me and my friends to play games. So, I mean, previously we could play games on like the PlayStation uh, and we play multiplayer shooting games and multiplayer PlayStation games, but you will, you always have to be rooted in your own home to do that. The Switch is like just having one big LAN party at any location of your choice because everyone is portable. And I think that for me has been why and is going to be why the Switch will continue to be one of my most used, if not the most used, electronic device in my home. Even counting my PC that I work off mainly. Um, It's just the ability for me to just get up and go and set up a game with a friend literally 
anywhere we choose that is i think has been the magic of the console for me and that's why i got it i mean like i said before everyone around me had one they were like oh genie you should get one and you know i admit at the time i wasn't really thinking about the people that i could play the game with i was like you know i need breath of the wild that's it. i'm just gonna get it i'm gonna bite the bullet pay 500 dollars but in the end the switch has become a lot more than just a vehicle for a one spectacular rpg and I'm really glad to say that my fears of it having no games have been completely unfounded because as you can see, the Switch has had a stellar year with 2018 just about to get better with all the new releases that have been out and all the great games like Bayonetta, which we've seen recently, just to mention one iconic game, of course. Um, and I think in terms of getting the Switch, while it did seem like an incredibly steep price point, I think it's more than pay for it in my eyes because of the way that I can connect with my mates that we can play together, and just how after a whole year, I just haven't gotten sick of it. I've never wanted to put it down. So if you're on the fence about the Switch, and your mates are harassing you to get one, think about it. I mean, if it's within your financial means, and you want to experience something different, a totally new Nintendo gaming experience, then you should definitely consider it, because I was on the fence, but I took a leap of faith, and it's really paid off for me. I know I've already briefly talked about Breath of the Wild and my experience with Breath of the Wild, but we're each doing a whole segment on Breath of the Wild and why that game is so special to us, and I suppose why the game is so special to the Switch. So I think if you cast your minds back to the E3 when the Switch was announced and we saw the very, very first footage of Zelda, I mean, everyone was blown away, right? It was really out of this world. I mean, if you think back upon all the the more recent Zelda games of memory, um, anything on the Wii U, Skyward Sword, for example, you know, and the Twilight Princess not too long before that. I think everyone, when they first saw the trailer, they were like, okay, it's a Zelda game. Sure, the graphics look different, but it's going to be a Zelda game. It's going to be, it's going to be like Majora's Mask, or it's going to be like Wind Waker. It's going to have some sort of recognizable graphical aesthetic element, or it's going to have some kind of mechanic that we are used to in the old games, and it's going to be what we expect. It's a safe original IP for Nintendo, and it's a safe launch product. It's going to do fine, but you know, Nintendo's just catering to nostalgic fanboys at this rate. Um, however, I like to think that we were completely wrong um, if we had those assumptions about the title previously, because I remember booting out Breath of the Wild and going, what am I looking at? I didn't know what I was looking at. It was just entirely new, that experience of waking up as Link, being completely disorientated, not knowing what to do, that was as much a fresh start for Link in the game as I think it was for me, because any preconceived notions I had about the game were just blown away. Not to mention two minutes in, when you see the Grand Plateau for the first time, and you have that beautiful opening shot of all the land that you can explore in the game. That's just breathtaking. And Breath of the Wild, <laughs> excuse the breath pun, it's breathtaking throughout. Um, I mean, I am a huge Zelda fan. I've, I've I've admitted that on this podcast multiple times. Everyone knows that I've been a stalwart of the franchise. But Breath of the Wild, despite being a Zelda game, has felt like it's an its own beast. Um, for me, I mean, I got plenty of the way to through Twilight Princess, plenty of the way through Skyward Sword, and plenty of the way through the Spirit Tracks game, which is that really random DS game where Link is a train conductor and drives a train and just don't get me started on that. But um, I've always been drawn to, I guess, the weird esoteric kooky Zelda titles. 
um, which I don't think Breath of the Wild really falls into. And I think really speaks to the strength of the game um, in terms of environmental storytelling, that everything can look so different, so new, um, so polished and so barren, yet still be recognizable. Um, the way that Breath of the Wild draws on all these old settings, um, you know, the ruins of Hyrule, the ruins of the land, while still building its own environmental landscape and narrative landscape that sort of fits with the trauma the land has suffered, that was incredibly impressive. I mean, we've seen wastelands before, right? All those other games are full of them. But there was just something about how this Hyrule felt so organic and so natural and so alive. And for me, I think the reason why Breath of the Wild was so popular was because you could really do whatever you wanted. You could explore, you could ignore the threat of Ganon, you could go through all the main story quests, you could fight him whenever you wanted. There was so much choice that I never felt like I wasn't being guided. There were all these small goals built into the game, I think. Things like, you know, the baseball and minigame of Terrytown, for example. Um, for finding new recipes, you know, trying out new armor, defeating new monsters. I think Breath of the Wild was a great, strong title because there was something for everyone, and it was Zelda enough for you to recognize and to appreciate if you were a Zelda fan, and also enough of a blank slate that it allowed many others who may have only got the Switch or got the game because it was available at launch to actually be drawn into the franchise and to make their own stories and to create their own adventures and to follow along with this entirely new hero that many of us have seen, you know, year after year after year. So I think for a launch title, you know, Nintendo really couldn't have picked a better one, um, other than Splatoon, maybe. Um, but I think it had the right amount of balance between sort of pulling back people that were nostalgic for the good old Nintendo days before the, the Wii U's untimely demise and Sony and Microsoft Monopoly, I suppose, on console gaming. I think Breath of the Wild as a narrative, as a story, as an experience, coupled with the Switch launch, was really the, the catalyst, I think, the beginning of the good times again for Nintendo. And it'll always have a very special place in my heart. So time to the last segment um, of my bit of the Nintendo Switch Anniversary podcast. I'm going to talk about a game, a launch game for the console that really, really stuck with me and resonated with me, and one that I just downright enjoyed. So for that reason, I have picked Diskea 5, which was a launch title on the Japan eShop, which is why I purchased my copy. I think it went global like maybe a fortnight into the Switch's release, but I think that's close enough to fit the bill, so I'm going to go with that. So for those that are uninitiated to the franchise, this Gaia is basically anime nonsense times a thousand. Um, it's it's a game that is wild, um, it's incredibly over the top, it's got great character models, it's got ridiculous looking skills and powers, and even just the characters themselves are just randomly generated nonsense characters. They're, they all have their own sort of warped kind of characterization. Um, I mean, they are based on demons from hell, literally, and there's just something so charming about a game that doesn't take itself seriously. And so Diskea 5, um, while being a riotous circus of anime graphics and stereotypes and costumes, 
um, including um, a female Playboy bunny costume in particular. Um, all those things would normally bow down a title or make it unappealing, except for the fact that this game's core combat really is strategy. It's a hardcore, relatively hardcore strategy game. So it is a game where you move your characters around a tile-based map. Um, characters can execute actions, they can buff their neighboring players, buff themselves, pull off combos with well-positioned characters on the same team as them, and generally just kick a lot of butt. So this game is a very well-known franchise already. It's on the PC, on the PlayStation, and this I think was the very first time that it's basically come to the Nintendo consoles, apart from like a really really old DS port, but that was years ago. So Disgaea 5 on the Switch is the complete edition of the game, which means it has all the DLC, which includes DLC in the form of downloadable characters from other Nisa franchises. So there's a lot out there if you're an existing Nisa fan, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, because they have done so much. But basically, Disgaea 5 takes like a hodgepodge of characters from all these other inspirations and throws them into the whole war against good and evil. Except this war is waged entirely in the depths of hell um, amongst demons. And the focus is on exposed quote-unquote anime themes like honor, betrayal, being the strongest, and defeating things all on your own, slash or with the power of friendship, slash with your trusty psychics. So while it may sound a bit like Fire Emblem turned up to a thousand, it's not. Um, it is an entirely, entirely different game for Fire Emblem in terms of tactics. Um, and honestly, this game just goes off the rails from the start. So if you are wondering what the game is about after this five-minute spiel of mine, um, all I can say is watch some trailers or try the game out for yourself. There's so much to do in combat, like there's multiple layers to this combat, so there's not, there's like the tactics, there's recruiting new allies, just giving them the right weapons, giving them the right skills, giving them the right personality traits. Um, like you can recruit characters with like passive attacks, personality traits, and debuffs. And those are all crucial in getting the right team to fight the right kinds of characters. You've also got like a home base that you go to that grows over time, so you can recruit even stronger allies, do side quests, heal up, and things like that. And the game does have some pretty big spikes in difficulty occasionally, but if you're a veteran of tactics games, you'll find this, you know, it won't be a problem at all. Um, basically, I thought this game was a great launch title in Japan because the franchise has so much history for the country. Um, and throughout Asia, it's a very, very popular franchise. And also, I think it, it filled the tactics game-sized hole that was left, I think, with the other Switch releases. I mean, we all love 1-2-Switch and Breath of the Wild, but I think if you were wanting something different and you weren't really a big fan of RPGs or multiplayer games, and you had, I suppose, a more quote-unquote serious game itch to scratch, um, or a more tactical one to scratch, then Disgaea 5 would really have been, at least it wasn't mine, um, in your basket. Uh, ready for checkout when the console launched. So for those that haven't tried Disgaea 5 out yet, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I still play it. Uh, I don't know if I ever finish it. The campaign is long and all the DLC missions are basically endless. But I mean, I'm someone that clocks games or if I don't clock them, I get bored of them and I delete them from my console. Disgaea 5 is never leaving my console. When I've got a bad day, I just come back to it. When, I'm, when I'm having a good day, I come back to it. 
there's just so much love about the game. It's charming in its own lunatic way. Um, the characters are hilarious. Though if you don't like anime, you might want to avoid this one because of all the stereotypes. But it is genuinely charming, genuinely lighthearted, and just a huge bundle of fun. Just like the Nintendo Switch. I think the first thing you need to understand is it doesn't snow very much where I live. Uh, so when it does snow, it snows a lot, and the city shuts down, and our utilities tend to go offline. And we hadn't had a snow like that since, uh, I don't know, 2008. I know World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King was the game I was playing during that snow. And then there was just many, many years where we got a light dusting, and that was it. So it was with some concern that in January of 2017, we got hit with a pretty significant amount of snow. And I knew that we were going to have problems with power and with electricity and with internet connection. And lo and behold, we get to January 12th, 2017, which was Nintendo's first big direct of the year, where they finally showed everybody the big trailer of what the Switch was and what Breath of the Wild is. And the blizzard knocked my internet connection out. So there I was on my phone, my very slow connected phone, trying to refresh Twitter as often as I could so I could keep up with the updates that way because I couldn't watch the video live and I was very disappointed. But I liked everything that I was hearing. Uh, I could tell right away that the Switch was everything that I wanted it to be and I had a lot of faith that this thing was going to be successful. And as if by fate or by magic or whatever you want to call it, in the last 10 minutes of the direct, my internet came back up, and I was able to watch that 3 minute and 49 second trailer for The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild that capped off the direct, and then I was able to get onto a website and pre-order my Switch. And it was just a flawless moment, and I really needed it, because 2017 was not a good year. The Switch was the only good thing in my life in 2017. There had been a lot of changes in my life and a lot of changes in the society that I lived in that made life a lot harder to tolerate. So the internet coming back on when it did, I'm, I'm not a person of faith, but that saved me, I think. But I still had two months to go before the Switch actually came out. So I got that Friday off from work, and I went down to the store that I pre-ordered it at because I didn't want it to be delivered. I didn't trust it to be delivered to me, which actually turned out to be prophetic. <laughs> I got back from the store, and I was like, okay, I got my Switch. It's here. No problem. I unboxed it, and I was like, I went through the thing. I don't know if many people remember this, but this was a thing that happened when the Switch first came out. It was when people opened it up. They said... It's much smaller than I expected. And then actually you attach the Joy-Con to it and you pick it up and you're like, oh, never mind. This thing is freaking huge. I think we kind of take the Switch for granted 
as a piece of hardware at this point because we're all so familiar with it now, but it was something special opening it up and holding it for the first time. This was actually the first Nintendo console that I'd had at launch. I've owned every Nintendo console, but I was never able to get them on launch day for either financial reasons or just how old I was at the time. So then I got it all set up and plugged into my TV and put it into its dock and sitting there looking at it. And I was like, okay, this is it. Now what am I going to play? Because I chose in-store pickup for my Switch, but I chose to get Breath of the Wild through Amazon. And another thing that happened on that day, and there was a huge uproar on Twitter about it, was Amazon completely dropped the ball on Switch deliveries. There were many people who ordered their Switches through Amazon that did not receive them on launch day. I did not order my Switch through Amazon, but I did order The Legend of Zelda through Amazon. And clear up to the end of the day, my order page was still saying, oh, it's coming today. You'll have it by 8 p.m. Finally, about 9 p.m., they finally updated it to say, it'll be delivered tomorrow. After struggling to get my Switch connected to the internet, because I ran into the same problems that I think many people discovered with the Switch on the first run hardware, is that the signal strength on it is not what it could be, or maybe even what it should be. But once I finally got it connected to my router, I downloaded another game instead, and that game was Shovel Knight. I'd heard lots of good things about Shovel Knight, I've always wanted to play it, but I could tell just by looking at it that... This is DuckTales. I've played this game before. Shovel Knight is bouncing on his spade, obviously, instead of uh, Scrooge McDuck's cane. But, nah, I've seen that game before. It's DuckTales. Uh, but it's the Treasure Trove version. So it had the Plague Knight and the Spectre Knight add-ons built into it. And those were very nice to have. I spent most of the Switch launch day uh, either staring at my Amazon order form, waiting for it to update. When I wasn't doing that, I was playing the Shovel Knight campaign, which was fine. Uh, I don't have much to say about the actual core Shovel Knight campaign. But the way that I played Shovel Knight actually kind of proved prophetic from how I play my Switch to this day. Because I played it mostly portably. That first day when I was playing Shovel Knight, I did play the Shovel Knight campaign, and I played that all on my TV. But in the coming week after that, and even while I was playing Breath of the Wild at home, when I was away from my TV and I was playing my Switch portably, I was playing the Shovel Knight extra campaigns, especially the Plague Knight campaign. And as I just said, I wasn't real impressed with Shovel Knight because it was DuckTales. But the Plague Knight campaign actually completely changed the way the game controlled. It was playing through the same levels. But the Plague Knight has a completely different way of attacking enemies than the Shovel Knight does, and a completely different way of jumping and moving around the environment. And I just liked it a whole lot more than I did the Shovel Knight game, which I felt was very derivative. And then the Spectre Knight just completely blew my expectations away, because... It not only had a new and dynamic way of moving through the levels, with the Shovel Knight able to air dash and also grind on rails, which completely opens up the way that levels can be explored, but it actually had an entirely new campaign with entirely new levels as opposed to the remixed campaign that Plague Knight had. So I was a little disappointed with Shovel Knight, 
but with Plague Knight and Specter Knight, oh my goodness, uh, I think that's one of the best games you can get on the Switch, and I'm really looking forward to the King Knight campaign, which is supposed to be coming out sometime soon here. Do tune into a future episode of Switch Focus Podcast, where we'll definitely be talking about that one, I have no doubt. So with much disappointment, I did eventually go to sleep, somewhat frustrated that Breath of the Wild had not been delivered yet, but also kind of proud of myself because, you know, a a younger, less wise version of myself would have been so frustrated that he would have actually bought Breath of the Wild digitally just to play it on day one. But I was like, this sucks, but it is what it is, and I'll wait. And when I woke up the next morning, Amazon had come through. They had left the box sitting on my doorstep, which I wasn't real happy about, but I didn't have time to be unhappy about it because I ripped that box open and I started playing immediately. And just like when I was watching that trailer and I knew immediately that the Switch was everything I had been looking for from a video game console but didn't know it, Breath of the Wild was everything that I've been looking for, not just from a Zelda game, but from an open-world game in general. For years, maybe even for a full decade before Breath of the Wild came out, the open-world genre was just typified by the Ubisoft formula, where there's a beautiful and expansive and detailed map to explore, but just everything in it is just cut and pasted. It's the same activity over and over and over and over, and it just is not fun to play. It takes these maps that are so beautiful and varied and dynamic, there's that word again, and just turns them into the same activity over and over and over again, and Breath of the Wild just seemed to subvert that. Almost as soon as you walk out of the Shrine of Resurrection, there are things hidden in front of you that I wouldn't even find until hours later. I didn't know that the Koroks existed when I first started playing Breath of the Wild. But there is one hidden feet outside of the first area of the game, and it wouldn't find it myself for weeks later when I finally revisited that place. It is just such a densely created game and provides so many avenues for exploring and doing what you want and solving puzzles and defeating enemies and going about playing the game in the way that you think it should be played. Now, I don't want to say that it's a game that lets you do anything. If you ever hear anybody say that this is a game that lets you do anything, stop listening to them immediately because that person does not know what they're talking about. Games do not let you do anything. They are, by definition, restrained and only let you do things that the game allows you to do but breath of the wild the things that it allows you to do are things that we've seen the promise of of games in the past but fully realized here for the first time and i sat down to play that about 12 30 on march 4th saturday of 2017 and i don't think i stopped except to sleep for the next 96 hours. There's a forum I frequent. I went on there after I beat the game and shared that I'd beaten it. People did not believe me that I had beaten it, so I had to show them screenshots. <laughs> uh, it turned out that actually that I had played it about as much as they had, but I had focused much more on progression, which is just the kind of person I am. I 
am very goal-focused and task-oriented, so I was always working towards getting to the next Divine Beast. Whereas they were just like, let's go see what's over here. Which is fine, those are both perfectly valid ways of playing the game. That's the strength of Breath of the Wild. If you want to focus on conquering Calamity Ganon, you can. If you want to focus on climbing mountains, you can. The game never stops you from doing either. It is, without question, the most sublimely designed video game I have ever played. Not to say that I've played all of them, but I've played a lot. And I do think Nintendo is one of the best developers out there. And I just have to say of Breath of the Wild that it is the best game they have ever developed. As I've said on the podcast in the past, if you have listened to us, I consider Breath of the Wild my favorite game of all time. I have recently begun playing through it again on Master Mode, which I've been wanting to do since Master Mode came out last summer, but we've just been caught in the deluge of games that I've been trying to keep up with. And my feelings towards it have not changed at all. If anything... The additions made to Master Mode where enemies are just that much more powerful and make Link feel that much weaker and more fragile and more mortal, I think, would be the best word to describe Link in Breath of the Wild. That it has only emphasized the things that I love about Breath of the Wild. I could go on and on and on about this game. But for right now, on this one-year anniversary special, let me just say, my love and respect for this game has not diminished. It has only grown in time. And if that continues, I think this game will be an unstoppable force. There are game developers alive today who say that they are making games because of The Legend of Zelda, which celebrated its 30-year anniversary not long before the launch of this game. I think in another 30 years, you will see game developers who were influenced by Breath of the Wild. It is destined to be timeless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Why not also check out our YouTube channel, where we regularly upload the first hour of many of the games we play. Andrew is streaming most of the games that we talk about on the show, and you can find him at twitch.tv playcritically. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at Switch Focus Podcast for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show, you can also buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. If you like, you can follow the members of the Switch Focus podcast individually. Andy is at Flame Roast Host, Andrew is at Play Critically, and Ginny is at Ginny Woes.